All right, gentlemen, a very warm welcome to Torah Studies. This is our weekly deep dive into the Torah portion and into the soul of a Torah portion theme. Today we have a very unique theme that we're going to cover. But first, let's talk about what it is that we typically try to avoid, and that is thinking about discussing or revealing our imperfections. Right, now obviously present company excluded because we're all perfect, right? Uh-huh, exactly. Now, the way it works is like this. Everyone knows their imperfections. But everyone, I can't, listen, when I say everyone, I don't mean everyone. But, you know, most of us, or many of us, or some of us, right? We know our imperfections, but we choose to hide our imperfections lest others see our imperfection. How do I know this? Because I've been on Instagram before. Now, I'm not like super active person on Instagram. We post some things for, you know, Chabad and Town Jewish Academy, etc. But I've seen Instagram before. Everyone's like, you know, filtered and when I say filtered, like, you know, everything looks amazing. Everything looks perfect, right? Life is great. Life is grand. Life is maybe a hundred grand. Everything is amazing, right? And that's the way, that's the way it looks. That's the way it looks. However... Real life is not always an Instagram picture. Real life does not always um, uh, reflect the perfection of the gram. Because in truth, we're all complicated and life is complicated. And we're not always, you know, we're not always winning or achieving or being perfect the way or life is not as perfect as we would like. And we're not as perfect as perhaps we would like. Things are complicated. But how often do we feel safe? and secure to reveal our imperfections. For that, we need safe spaces. No, okay, but, but in truth, I mean, for that we need, like we have to have a lot of confidence. Maybe that's not the right word. We have to be very real to be vulnerable. It's not easy to be vulnerable. You meet someone and say, instead of saying, hey, so what do you do? You ma- imagine you just met someone and you say, hey, tell me, tell me uh, what's wrong with you. Like, what are your imperfections? What are your flaws? Great opening line. See how far that gets you, right? Although, although, all, right, not, yeah, it's like, whoa, this guy's deep, right? No, but like, so, so who knows? Who knows? It could work. Let's welcome a few more people. Let's welcome Sarah and who else joined? Maybe that's it. Okay. So rarely, I, relatively rarely do we indulge in our, well, we indulge in our, our imperfections, but rarely do we divulge. That's what I'm looking for divulge our imperfections we keep it close to the chest we keep it we try to ignore we, we try to kind of gloss over it now there is a statement from our sages that love conceals all blemishes right so love is the ultimate concealer you know that um you know the filter that makes everything look a little bit hazy i think they started that pioneered that with television didn't they with television there was like a filter that kind of made Things a little bit, a little bit hazy. Yeah. All right. Listen, I, I think so. Who knows? I could be wrong, but we'll go, we'll, we'll go with it anyway. So there's like, you know, like this glossy filter or this hazy filter that, that gloss, well, a hazy filter that glosses over everything, makes everything look nice and smooth. That is kind of the way we look at ourselves, right? We look at ourselves and we're like, oh, not so bad. Not so bad. I don't mean physically. I mean, could also be physically, but I mean like the stuff that we have to work on. It's like, all right, not so bad. Okay. Yeah. It's not a perfect, but you know. It's, it's, we tell ourselves like nothing that I couldn't take care of. If I really wanted to, I could totally take care of that today, tomorrow. No big deal. And, and I will. No big deal. So it doesn't bother us because it's not like a, it's not like a real issue. A real issue is something that I couldn't solve, but I can totally solve this. I got this. 
I got this. <laughs> Said everyone with a gambling problem ever. I got this. One more hand. Boom, we got this. But that's the nature of things because who wants to feel the full brunt of the, you know, what's not working? We feel rather that, you know, things are fine. More or less things are fine. Again, why? What's the core of it? It's self-love. Avat chasab shayim. That love, ava, love, techasa covers over, pshayim, over iniquity or over blemish. So self-love covers over. By the way, when, when our sages, when the Torah tells us to love your fellows yourself, according to Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy, you know what it means to love your fellow as yourself? Just like you gloss over your imperfections, you should, when you look at someone else and you see their imperfections, you should gloss over their imperfections. Aha, try that, try that on for size. In other words, instead of only like overlooking yours, imagine you overlook theirs. Ah, not so bad, I'm sure he means well. Whoever says that? Somebody does something wrong, says something wrong, oh, we go after them. It's like, how dare they? Me? That's fine. It's, um, it's like the story where the two, the two Jewish mothers are meet, meet for lunch and, uh, and so they ask about each other's kids. So the one asks the other, so how's, um, how's your son? So the mother says, oh, Unbelievable. He's locked into this, you know, just horrible marriage. My son, he has to slay. He's, he slaves away at work. And um, uh, he slaves away at work. And, 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 and his wife, you know, he, he, she spends money and he has to provide for her. And, you know, he does all the work and she sits back. And, and it's like, it's crazy. He's working so hard. And then she asks, so how's your daughter? Oh, She's great. Her husband takes care of her. He does everything for her. You with me on this, right? So when it's this way, it's this way. When it's that way, it's that way, right? So it's, it's like in life, we kind of want it both ways. That when it comes to us, right? When it comes to us, so we overlook everything. When it comes to the other, oh, magnifying glass, like fine-tooth comb, like the way we, the way we look for hummus before Pesach, or like we're looking for every crumb. You know, it's been said that we should only look at ourselves, with the same magnifying glass that we look for the chametz in the house before Passover, right? Everyone's looking like, oh, wait, oh, ooh, is, that, is that a crumb? Get rid of the crumb. Like, lest there be a crumb. Hold on. Slow it down. Every little blemish is a problem? Okay, just as long as we're listening to what we're saying, then maybe we're in a, you know, like, because what's the implication? You, people shop for an esrog before Sukkot. Yeah, I mean... In certain communities, like in New York, you go there, people have like, you know, those, those magnifying glasses that they use for diamonds. People will like snap those on, like be looking at the estrog. It's like, is it perfectly yellow or green? Everyone's got a different color. Some like a yellow, some like a little bit green, some like a shiny, some like a little waxy looking, uh, some like a this shape, that shape, you know. And everyone's just examining it. And it's, it's okay. As long as your lemon is, as long as your estrog is perfect, it's, I, I guess we're okay, right? The question is not about the estrog. The question is, what's going on inside? So I think in life, there is a, uh, there's a challenge in really looking within. And this week's Torah portion, as we'll see soon, um, reminds us about the necessity. It reminds us about the, um, you know, how critical it is to really look inside. So let me tell you a little bit about, oh, a jeweler's loop. There you go. Loop. Lupe. Loop. I, could, I can't, you know, in the comments, I can't see if that's an L or a T initially. Loop, um, Ari. 
loop. I can't, is it a loop? Is it toupee? I'm kidding. All right, it's a loop. Now, here is, here, right. So here is the context of this week. So this week's Torah portion is called Shemini. And Shemini talks about the opening day of the tabernacle. The Jewish people, um, you know, the exodus happened. They got out of, so they, right, they got out of Egypt. Then they got the Torah. They, they worshiped the golden calf. Whoops. And then the national reclamation project, the big idea of tshuva, of repentance, happened through the building of the Mishkan. And they built it for a while. And then there was a seven days of inauguration. And finally, on the eighth day, it was opening day. And the Mishkan was in business. It's fantastic. That's where our Torah portion opens. On that day, there was incredible joy, followed by incredible agony with the, and, and, and pain and loss with the passing of Aaron's two sons. Then the second half of the Torah portion talks about the laws of kosher. So it's an action-packed Torah portion, which, of which we're, we're going to talk about none. None of this, none of the above. What we're going to talk about today is the mafter. What is the mafter? So let me explain a little bit, a little bit about the mafter. There's mafter and then there's haftorah. Haftorah and mafter are not the same thing. So I'm, I just want to clarify what's going on. And if you've been in synagogue on, on Shabbat morning, so you've, you've definitely seen this in action, but I'm going to break down exactly what, what's going on. So every week in Shul, every Shabbat morning, we read, hey, Sandrine, good to see you. Um, so every Shabbat morning, we pull out, if there's a minion, assume there's a minion, we go to the ark, which is right behind me, we pull out a Torah scroll, Okay. Torah scroll is placed in the bima, right? Not a bimer. That's a car that you drive, a bima. And is rolled to the, it's usually in the right place-ish, and you, and you open it up at the beginning of the Torah portion, and you have seven readings. Seven people are called up to the Torah, and the Torah portion is divided into seven readings of varying lengths. And after that, you call up an eighth person. And that is called up for the maftir. The eighth person gets called up, and a very small reading is read, typically three or four verses, and it's typically a repeat of the end of the seventh reading. It's the last few verses, just doing it again. And then the person that called up to do that for that, for that eighth reading reads the haftorah from a book at the bima. That's what happens. Why does this happen? What's going on? So I'll give you a historical context. It's fascinating. There was a time in ancient Israel where foreign entities, foreign powers ruled the land and they forbade the Jewish people, they forbade our people from reading the Torah publicly. And so can you imagine? After so many years, after hundreds of years, even more, thousands of years perhaps, um, I mean, whatever, hundreds, definitely centuries, of reading the Torah every Shabbat, imagine suddenly you can't read the Torah. You can't pull out the Torah scrolls and read it. So what did they do? So Jews are very creative. So instead of reading from the Torah, they read from the books of the prophets. They read from Nach, from Nevi'im and Ksuv. They read from Navi, the books of the prophets. And they replaced the Torah reading with the books of the prophets. Now, when that decree was, was rescinded, and the Jews were, once again, the Jewish people were able to read from the Torah. So they didn't want to drop the custom, this new tradition of reading from the prophets. So they decided to do both. Go back to the Torah reading. But at the end of the Torah reading, 
Also read the Haftar, also read from the books of the prophets. But the way they did it when they had, I hope I don't lose anybody here. The way they did it when there was no Torah reading, when that was banned, is they called someone up to make a blessing before and after reading from the books of the prophets. Okay, so now they wanted to do that as well. Once they were able to do the, the Torah reading again, they wanted to do both. But here's the thing. If you call up people to make a blessing on the Torah, and then you, seven people, seven people, and then you call up someone else to read it, to only read from the, the books of the prophet, that seems like you're equating the five books of Moses with the other books. So the way around it is, you call up the eighth person who's going to read from the prophets, but first, there's a, sh a short reading from the Torah, that's a lead-in to the books of the prophets. Are you with me on this? So the eighth person gets a few verses read from the Torah itself, and then you put away the Torah, and then you pull out the other one, but it's all part of the same kind of that same genre. That eighth person does both, but they don't exclusively do the books of the prophets because that would indicate that that's equal value to the, uh, to the Torah reading. So you do a separate reading um, but you also roll it into the Torah reading, so it's kind of a hybrid. You do a little Torah, and then a little half Torah. That same person does it. So if you go to shul, come to Shul, whoever gets the eighth, the eighth Aliyah, or whoever gets the eighth, called eighth to the Torah, is the one who will get the last few verses, plus the reading from the book of the half Torah. That's the history. Yeah, yeah. So that, and that, that, that explains the mechanism. Basically, it used to be just the Torah, then it was just the half Torah, then, because of the decree, then when the decree was rescinded, they wanted to keep both, but they wanted to make sure that it didn't seem like it's equal footing, so they made sure that the Haftorah should also have a few verses of Torah, and then you go into that one. Wonderful. Now, that's how it is every week, except for certain weeks, where, based on a special occasion, you actually um, read not the last few verses of the Torah reading, just to roll into the, but you actually read another part of the Torah, that is of note. So in other words, you would read the normal Torah reading, seven readings, and you, you finish the, Torah, the parasha, the Torah reading. But then, in order for the lead-in for the half Torah, instead of reading the last few verses again, you'll read something topical related to the week. So a few times in the year, you switch out the last few verses for the maftir, oh, that, oh, and that's called maftir. So the half Torah is the pro maftir is the, um, is the addition, the few verses that, that are the lead-in. So instead of the few verses at the end of the portion, you, you, you introduce a new reading. Like uh, a, few, a few weeks ago, we read um, Zachar, right? Instead of, the, instead of the end of the Torah portion, we read the section that talks about the war against Amalek and how we're to remember to destroy the remembrance of, it's very complicated, very, uh, very complicated. We, we have to remember to destroy any memory of Amalek. So we read that as the Maftir, the Shabbat before Purim, because Purim, of course, is Haman, was from Amalek, was from that nation. And so to remember, to kind of lead into Purim, so when that Purim can't fall out on Shabbat, so whatever week it falls out, the Shabbat before, instead of the Mafter being the last few verses of the Torah portion, you read another section. You might pull out a second Torah to read another section of a few verses that talk about Amalek. So you keep it topical. So there are, right before Passover, there are actually four special weeks that have four special maftirs. This week, this coming Shabbat, is one of them. We're going to pull out two Torahs. One, para. This week is para. So we have the regular Torah portion of Shemini, but then we're going to pull out a second portion just for a few verses. I mean, it's a little bit, a little bit more than a few this time, but it's topical. What's the topic this week? 
The topic is the para aduma, the red heifer. Why are we talking about the red heifer? Listen to this. Listen to this. Because in ancient times, Passover, everyone was required to bring a paschal lamb. And to bring a paschal lamb, right, you have to be in a state of purity. Well, what if you're not in a state of purity? So then you need a red heifer. So to remind everyone, get your red heifer in, right? Make sure you're ready for the red heifer. Make sure you're pure. Passover is coming, right? Nowadays, we have other reminders, yeah? You don't need to read Pasha's Parah. You don't need to read Parah because you go to Kroger. Hey, you go to Kroger. They have a whole section. Passover. Boom. Boom. Passover. Oh, Passover is coming. Oh, you were there this morning? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's your hood now. Yeah. Yeah. You want oil? Yeah. You want mayonnaise? You got it. Yeah. That they, Kroger is very good. If only Chabad was so organized. Like, so, like, like weeks, months before, they're organized. Everything's ordered. It's very impressive. Very impressive. I'm not suggesting we go last minute, but not as, uh, they're like six months ahead. Maybe even a year ahead. Last year, they were sold out. Last year, they were sold out. This is a reminder of PSA. This, is not, this was not initially in the, in the scope of tonight's class, but a PSA. Start your Passover shopping. Somebody mentioned to me, maybe it was Mark, about a matzah at Costco. Was that Mark? Thumbs up. Hand on the wheel? No? All right. Anyway, the point is like this. The point is... I, I sent you something, Harry, about Matzah and Costco. Could be, could be, but I think somebody, told, somebody local told me about that. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, this weekend, this Shabbat, we're going to read us, us, the maftir for the lead-in for the haftor. We're going to read a section talking about the red heifer how it was prepared, and what it was done. And essentially, the, the, the short of it is, if somebody had come in contact with a dead body, a human, dead human body, which renders them the most, the, the, the highest level of impurity. Impurity is not a, it's not a bad thing. It's not a judgment. It's a, it, it's a thing. It, it's a thing thing. It's a, about life and death. Life is pure. Death is impure. So someone that comes in contact with a human body, with a dead human body, a, a corpse, human corpse, that renders someone the most severe level of impurity. The only way out of that level of impurity, you can, even if you go to a mikvah, it doesn't help. You got to have the red heifer ashes sprinkled on you. The process is like this. Complicated process or whatever. There's a red heifer. You take a red heifer, perfectly red cow, even if it has two black hairs, it's disqualified. They shech the animal, they slaughter the animal, they burn the animal, then they take its ashes, they mix it with special water called living water from a living, living stream of water, living spring of water. So they have ashes mixed with water. The person that became impure, they sprinkle this water mixture, the ash water mixture on them on, the, on day number three and day number seven of this purification process. And then there's other things that are done also. On day number eight, they go to the mikvah, they bring some offerings. Cha-ching. They, I don't know if that's the right expression, cha-ching, I don't know. Kaboom, whatever it is, whatever the right idiom is, and they are now purified. That's what the paraduma is, red heifer, day three, day seven, the sprinkling, and day number eight, mikvah, and some sacrifices, and, the, and we are done. Okay? Now, why do we read it this weekend? And the answer that I told you is because Passover is coming. And if Passover is coming, and everyone's got to bring a carbon paste, like a paschal lamb, right? It's got to have a paschal lamb. You got to have a paschal lamb means you got to show up to the temple. You got to show up to the temple. You got to be pure. So if you have to be pure, you may need a red heifer. So let's talk about the red heifer to make sure that we're, we're getting all prepared for this. Make sense? Yes? 
Okay, by the way, this is a bit of a longer intro, but I wanted to make sure we know what, what a maftir is, what a haftor is, what a para is, what a what show. So this week is called Parashas Para. We read the section of Para. Now, let's begin with text number one. Okay, let's begin with text number one. And um, this comes from Rashi, Tractate Megillah. And Ed, if you don't mind, um, I'll give you the cue in a moment. Please read text number one. The portion of the red heifer is read just prior to Passover to remind the Jewish people to purify themselves so that they could bring the Paschal offering in a state of ritual purity. There you go. It's almost like I said that. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Rashi. What a guy. He took, my, took the words right out of my mouth. Okay, so Rashi says... And he's explained the Talmud, so it's in the Talmud as well, that the reason why we're reading uh, para this weekend, out of nowhere, it's not, it's not the Torah portion, the reason why we inserted it as the mafter instead of the last few verses is because it's a reminder. Hey, don't forget, make sure you get a, uh, if, you need, if you need, make sure you get a red heifer situation going on. Now, obviously, today we don't have a temple, and we don't have a Paschal lamb, you know, and we don't have, and we're all in a state of impurity, so why are we reading it today? Well, number one, it's a reminder of what used to be back in the day, what, what this time of year would have been if we had a temple. Number two, you know, we also are asking for Mashiach about seven times each Amida prayer, um, so three times a day. So, yeah, we should probably, if, if we're actually asking for Mashiach, you know what they say, be careful, we ask for you, might just get it. So, like, it, like please God, Mashiach is going to come, and then we'll need to bring uh, Paschal lamb, so we'll need a red heifer. So, it seems like a very fine week to talk about it. Okay? Before Passover, we talk about it. A few weeks out, great. By the way, next week, next Shabbat, not this weekend, but the next weekend, is HaChodesh. So this week is Parah, next week is HaChodesh. What's HaChodesh? We also read a special section. It's from the book of Exodus um, that talks about the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh and the Paschal Lamb itself. So the week before the Paschal Lamb, we read about the red heifer because you can't bring the Paschal Lamb without the red heifer purification if you need it. Okay, now, let's look at another interesting tidbit. Sandrine, please read this one. Text number two from Rambam. Maimonides talks about how, in addition to us reading about the red heifer this Shabbat, in general, they had to have, back in the day, red heifer ashes um, at the ready, just in case. Take, take a read, please. We were commanded to offer a red heifer so that its ashes would be prepared for anyone who required purification as a first state. It should be preserved for the congregation of the Jewish people. So Maimonides says that it's a mitzvah to have a stash of red heifer ashes ready to go in case the folks need it. Because the verse says it should be preserved for the congregation of the Jewish people. What do you mean preserved? Have it at the ready. You never know when somebody might need it. you got to have your red heifer ashes lined up. By the way, the red heifer was not an easy thing to come up with because how many cows are perfectly red without any black, uh, black hairs? It's very, it's, it's very rare. The Talmud tells us a story, crazy story, about how uh, back in the day when the temple stood, how the Jewish people needed a red heifer, and they were looking for a red heifer, and there was only one animal that they could find that tracked down that was perfectly red. And the guy, you know, supply and demand. Right? If you know that the Jews need a red heifer and you happen to have a red heifer in your uh, uh, stable, pen, farm, 
Herd. Herd? Yeah, there you go. Pasture. Right. Pasture. Heifers are in pastures. There you go. All right, so if you have a red heifer, right, hanging around, you know what? It's, it's, we call that inflation in modern times, supply chain and inflation. That, those are the buzzwords, right? The price is going to go up. Mark, gas prices, buddy. You're driving so much. I'm kidding. We love you, man. So um, here's the deal. Here's the deal. <laughs> I love looking at the background change. It looks like a studio. You know, back in the old movies where like the guys are sitting there, you can kind of see that it's fake, but it's just, I don't know why it looks fake in a, in a box. Anyway, the point is like this. The point is that, you know, a red heifer was hard to come by. It wasn't like you have these perfectly red cows just hanging around. Um, you know, every so often you hear about this, like in modern times, like in Texas, some, uh, you know, religious cattle farmers, like, I got a red heifer. He's like, yeah, it's a, he's breeding red heifers. And like, ah, we found two hairs, two black hairs. Ah, you know, it was, it was good while it lasted. So look, it was, it was very rare. Rambam says, my money says, you got to keep, you know, a stash of red heifer ashes at the ready in case somebody needs it. Okay, good, per perfect. So we're going to proceed to ask a question. The question that we're going to ask applies to both of the ideas that we just detailed. Idea number one, just to recap, idea number one is that on the Shabbat, before the month of Nisan, we read the, the section of para to, to, uh, as a reminder of the paraduma, of the, of the purification that was needed before bringing the Paschal Lamb. Great. And we also learned from Maimonides that they had to keep a, a, a jar, a bucket, whatever the size was, a container of red heifer ashes on, on behalf of whoever needed it. Great, 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 wonderful. The question is like this. How many people actually needed the red heifer purification? Right? If you think about it, what was the percentage of people who needed it? Now, you might say, well, everyone needed it because you had to bring a paschal lamb. Not so fast. Who had to actually bring the paschal lamb? As we'll see soon, a very slender percentage of the people had to actually bring a paschal lamb. Most people were not required to bring a paschal lamb, which means that most people didn't need to hear about the red heifer which means that why is the PSA for everybody? Just let whoever needs to know know, or if you need to know, then find out what you need to know. Why make this a broad, uh, broad announcement, right? It's like the emails that you get from me. Like, here's a new, the Joy Factory. I'm already happy, I don't need this email. I'm kidding. By the way, Joy Factory tomorrow night, 8, 8 p.m. Don't forget to sign up. It's gonna be amazing. Even if you're happy, you get happier. All right, that's tomorrow night. You gotta be happy. All right, next. So the question that we're asking is, why the need for a large-scale maftir, a large-scale broadcast in synagogues around the world, you know, for all these years about the red heifer? How many people even back in the day needed it? I mean, today we don't even need it at all because we, I mean, right, as of right, right the second, but like, what's, what's, how many people needed it? So to illustrate this, I'm going to read text number three, okay? I'm going to read text number three. This is from the Mishnah in Chagiga. The Mishnah Chagiga details exactly who was required to go to Jerusalem and bring the Paschal Lamb. Take a look-see at everyone who was excluded from this obligation. Okay, in other words, here are all the people who did not need to go to Jerusalem, who did not need to bring a Paschal Lamb offering. Text number three. All are, so, I love how it starts. All are obligated to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem during the three pilgrim festivals and thus participate in the mitzvah of appearance, i.e. to appear in the temple to sacrifice an offering, except, so everyone's obligated, except a deaf mute, a mentally uh, the mentally incompetent, and a minor, a tumtum, hermaphrodite, and women, in general, women are exempt 
from time constraints. We'll see soon. Women are, are exempt from time-based commandments. So if you have to be in the temple on a certain day at a certain time, it's not an obligation. Now, women could, I know I'm pausing here, but I think it's very important to clarify. Women could choose to, to make the pilgrimage, but they're not obligated due to the understanding of not everyone can make it out all the time. And slaves who are not emancipated, and the lame, and the blind, and the sick, and the old, and one who's unable to ascend to Jerusalem on their own legs. So essentially what we have here is everyone has to be there. Everyone has to offer a, um, everyone has to offer a, a Paschal lamb, except for like at least three quarters of the people. That's, that's what it, it's what, it, so if you're older, you don't have to go. If you're younger, you have to go. If you're a woman, you don't have to go. If you're in any of these other categories of people, you don't have to go, right? And so, and so, and so, who actually ended up going? Who ended up going? Pretty much men who were not too old, not too young, and, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry, there's more qualifications. You had to own a house. You had to be a landowner. If you're renting, you don't have to go. You don't have to go. Only if you own the house were you supposed to go. So you, you have a lot of exceptions. Um, oh, and only if you lived in the land of Israel. If you lived outside of Israel, you didn't have to go at all. So what we see here is that there are some major exceptions to the, to the pilgrimage um, uh, requirement. So this, the, the starting point, and this is even the way the Mishnah starts, the starting point is, yeah, everyone should go to Jerusalem for the holidays. That's what we call it the pilgrimage festivals, the festivals where you should make a pilgrimage. Go to Jerusalem. Spend the holiday in the capital city by the temple. Spend it in Jerusalem. Except, oh, a tumtum is someone who, yeah, tumtum, not Tintin. Remember Tintin? Remember the, yeah, it's like the comic book. Yeah. Anyway, tumtum is someone whose gender is unclear. Because they're, um, we'll just speak in a lush nikia in a very clean way, their gender organs are covered, are concealed. So there's no indication of male or female, at least externally, there's no indication of male or female. That's a tumtum. Okay? Now, so what's, so what's the idea here? The idea here is that we have all of these categories of exceptions and major categories of exceptions. Anyone young, anyone old, women, Anyone who didn't own a home, men, the, the remaining category, right? Men who didn't own a home and men who lived outside of Israel, the, none of these categories were obligated. Now, if they chose to go, they could choose. Anyone who wants to go can go. The, the, the doors are open and everyone's welcome and encouraged even. The question is not about if you should go. The question is, are you obligated to the point that if you don't show up, it's held against you? Which is, again, I just, just explain why women are, are exempt from, time from most positive time-based mitzvot. It's not, it, it, the simple reason is, given pragmatic considerations, biological considerations, and the idea of, you know, a child, a childbearing pregnancy, uh, uh, young children, babies, etc., nursing, v'chuli, etc., so the reality is that to obligate a woman to be in Jerusalem for a holiday is just not always feasible. So therefore, instead of saying, well, some women can between these ages and those, you know, it's like, you know, you don't have to. If you're able to and you want to, Gesundheit, hey, absolutely do it. But you're not, it's, not, it's not an obligation. So that's why in general women, that's most understanding why women are, are exempt from time-based, time-constrained mitzvot. But back to our story, here's my point. I don't want to lose the plot here. The plot is, the, story, the point is that of the Jewish nation, a very small percentage of individuals 
actually were required to show up to the temple on Passover and bring the Paschal Lamb. And if that's the case, right? And if that's the case, so why are we making a broad declaration? Why are we reading from the Torah and saying, hey, hear ye, hear ye, don't forget about the, the red heifer to be purified. Why does everyone need to know about the red heifer? Only the people that are going to Jerusalem need to know about it. That's a very small percentage. And I know what you're thinking. So who cares if everyone knows about it? Like, what's, what's wrong with making a broad announcement? Okay, there's nothing wrong with it, but why the necessity to make such a broad announcement if at the end of the day, not that a relatively slender percentage are actually going to be the ones that are requiring the purification because they're going to be offering a sacrifice. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Why they need to make a broad, broad, broad declaration, broad announcement, if it's not pertaining to everybody? And furthermore, why the need to maintain red heifer ashes on hand, right, for a very small percentage of people who might need it? Right? Why? It's almost like we have to keep it on behalf of everyone. You know, the whole, as Maimani said in, I think, text number two, he's like, um, you know, it has to be preserved for the congregation of the Jewish people. The people need it. The people need it. Who says the people need it? Right? The people need it. Who says? Some people need it. Not the people. So why, why they need to keep a vial on hand to keep it on hand? Okay, that is... That is, that is, the, that is what we're left with. So, therefore, we have a question. We have two questions. Question number one, why the broad announcement? Question number two, why the need to keep it on hand if it's only pertaining to a very small percentage of the people? So, to understand, there are many ways to answer this question. The truth is this question is really a lead into the answer. Sometimes you ask a question because you want, you, want you, you, you want to give the answer. So this is one of those questions. Because you could say, why make an announcement? Why not make an announcement for those that need it? Listen, if it's not, it's not pertinent to you, then ignore it, right? Um, why keep it on hand? For whoever needs it. Not for the whole people, for whoever needs it. So these questions are not unanswerable. But we're going to... The question allows us to give an answer that totally shifts our perspective on this whole topic and really opens up an incredible, a marvelous idea. And the, the angle that we're going to take right now is that everyone needed the red heifer. Even if they weren't going to Jerusalem, even if they weren't going to offer a Paschal Lamb, everyone needed a red heifer. And they needed the announcement of the red heifer. They needed the ash of the red heifer. Spiritually. Spiritually. Every mitzvah has a spiritual layer. Every mitzvah has a spiritual counterpart. When I say counterpart, I mean it has a spiritual dynamic. So every mitzvah has a body and a soul. You look at a mitzvah and you're like, okay, that's the mechanic of the mitzvah, but what, is it, what's, what does it represent? What's the energy? What's the soul of the mitzvah? Everything has a soul. Every piece of Torah has a soul. In fact, I believe it was the Shalah HaKadosh, the Holy Shalah, who said that Torah speaks about spiritual things and only alludes to it, hints to the physical things. Not the way we typically think. The Torah speaks to physical things and hints to spiritual dynamics the other way around. Torah primarily speaks about spiritual realities and only alludes to the physical reality. The same thing is true when it comes to the red heifer, the paraduma. So let's break down what is the red heifer spiritually. What is the red heifer spiritually? And, and to understand what the red heifer is spiritually, we have to understand what it means to get in contact with death spiritually. Because why did you need a red heifer? Because you got in contact with a dead body. So what does that mean? So here we go. What is death? Death is separation of uh, body and soul. 
Death is a state, obviously, goes without saying, right? Death is a state of a lack of life, an absence of life, or disconnection from life. Let's put it this way. For, let's say, 120 years, please God, right? A body is being powered by a soul, right? You have a body, and you have a battery pack. You have the soul that's an energizer battery or energizer bunny, whatever it is, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's animating, vivifying, right? Enlivening the body. You pull out the battery, and the body is no longer alive. That's the way it works, okay? In other words, death is when... Death is, and yeah, sleep is one sixty of death as well, right? So death is an absence of life or disconnection from life when the body is unplugged from the source, from the life. So what, what is analogous to that? What's analogous to that is sin. When you and I commit a sin, when human beings um, do something that against God's will, essentially, that is a form of spiritual death. Let me explain. I'm not trying to over-dramatize it, but I'm trying to explain what it means on a very practical level. If death is unplugging from life, that, that is the same thing as sin is. It's unplugging from the source of life. Right? God says, this is the way I want something to work, and a person says, no, thank you. I'm going to do it my way. That means that a person is unplugging from the source of life. Right, what do we say when we um, raise the Torah up at the end of the Torah reading? Right? It's a tree of life for those who hold on to it. Right? How do we sing it here? No, how do we sing it here? That's not how we sing it here. That's not how we sing it here. Right, right now, yeah, but that's not how we sing it here. How do we sing it here? Um, whatever. Anyway, however we sing it here, we sing it here. The bottom line is that. That's what I understood. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It does. It, the song doesn't matter. I'll remember after the class. The song doesn't matter. What matters is. What matter? You guys got it. I think she was right on her first. Yeah. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I know. I I I stand corrected. Anyway, here's the point. The point is that the message is that Torah is a tree of life. In other words, when you when we're following the ways of Torah, we're plugged into life because God is the source of life. And we're following the path of life. So we're plugged into life. What happens when we say no thank you to God? No thank you. I got my own way. I got my own way. So what's happening is, oops, unplugged. So true story tonight. I have a little nook in my kitchen. Some of you have been there before. A little nook in the kitchen where I have uh, some dairy, some milk appliances. Because we have a, a, a meat oven. The oven is, uh, is for meat. We have a little dairy like countertop uh, convection toaster oven situation, along with a hot water um, uh, pot that keeps the hot water for coffee and tea and whatnot. And we have also a um, we also have a uh, we we have other other appliances. So there's like a little bit of a pizza maker thing. It's like a round Betty Crocker red thing where you can make pizza and or and or eggs and cookie. It's like it's like a 
a, a flat surface, non-stick surface, round, and it's, it's wonderfully multi-purpose. Happens to be tonight, multiple appliances were running at the same time. And what happens when multiple appliances run at the same time? So it, it, it tripped the whatever it was, and it took a few minutes to get things back going. And the kids were fascinated because it, it hasn't been a while, and they, they haven't been around for a while, some of them. So like maybe their first time seeing this, like, oh, it doesn't work. Because, I mean, the power goes out. Well, the power goes out, but suddenly like, only one part of the power goes out. Like what? So I opened up the thing, and I showed them how things... Circuit breaker. Yeah, it's a, whole, it's a whole party. So what's the point? The point is that what we have here is a disconnection from the power, right? What happens when you, when you disconnect from the power source, when there's an interruption, when there's a break, now you're on your own. So a person says, you know what, God? Thank you very much for your opinion about how I should live my life, but you know what? I'm gonna do it my way. So what's happening is the person is unplugging themselves from the source, saying, thank you, but no thank you. I have my own way, I have my own path, I have my own desire, my own intention, my own will, my own, my own, my own philosophies, my own this, and that's it, I'm going my own way. So that is death without, I don't, again, not to be overdramatic, but it's, it's, that, that's a form of death. Every sin is a form of death. So, how do you, so, so what do you do after that? So what's the next? So how do, you, how do you purify from death? What's the answer in halacha? What's the answer in Jewish law? You need a red heifer. So what's a red heifer? So we know what, what death is. Coming in contact with death means person makes a mistake, person sins. What's the, what's the solution for that? The red heifer. So now the question is, what's the red heifer spiritually? The red heifer is synonymous with teshuva. What's teshuva? Teshuva is repentance. Getting back, plugging back in. It's not that complicated. I unplugged. Whoops. So what's the solution? Right? Crying? Trust me. Trust me. If we're crying, then the pizza maker doesn't get back on. You know what the solution is? You go over and flick that thing back and forth. You got it. You got it. You got to plug it back in. That's what we're doing. You plug it back in, and now you got power. Now you're good to go. So that's the message here as well. Sin is death because sin is unplugging from the source of life. What's the solution? The red heifer. What's the red heifer about? Plugging back in. Where do we see that in the red heifer? Give me a moment. We'll get there in a minute. In a minute. But first, the major idea here is that the red heifer is the idea of tshuva. Text number five. Elio, if you don't mind, please reading this. I'm pulling it up on the screen right now. Text number five, page 196. The red heifer represents the concept of repentance. The spiritual parallel of ritual impurity that is contracted through contact with the dead body is the principle of your sins separate you from God. Isaiah. This means that when we lack, quote, and you are attached to God, your God, unquote, we also lack, God forbid, you are, all, you are alive on this day. The red heifer, which is synonymous with repentance, purifies us and reinstates our bond with our origin and source, the living God. So this text, I, it's translated a little bit, I don't know, a little bit literally over here, so it reads a little bit awkwardly in my opinion. Anyway, the point is that it, it, it parallels the two points that I, that, that, that I made before, a moment ago. Right, so sin equals death. Red heifer equals tshuva. Or, sorry. Um, sin equals death. And tshuva represents red heifer. So the, the physical lie is if somebody physically comes in contact with a dead body, then they need a red heifer. Spiritually, what does it mean for you and I? It means when we make a mistake, right? We disconnect from the source. All right, we need a red heifer. We need to do tshuva. We need to come back. Um, take a look at text number six. Very fascinating. Let me set this up for a second, though. Um, the red heifer was unique in that it was the only offering, as we'll see soon, that were offered outside. It was offered outside the temple. 
Every other carbon, every other offering, even a sin offering was offered inside because a sin offering was for sins that were done by mistake. The red heifer is for conscious unplugging. It's for unplugging because I meant to unplug. Then you really need a red heifer. Okay, spiritually. Take a look at text number six. Here's what the Rebbe says. The difference between the red heifer and other offerings is that the other offerings, every other offering pretty much, they were offered inside the temple, inside the temple courtyard. Not so the red heifer, which was offered outside the temple, outside the courtyard. This is because the idea of the red heifer is to emerge from impurity to purity. In other words, it's come, going from outside Back inside. The red heifer, why do you need a red heifer? Because you unplugged. So when you unplug, where are you? You're outside. You're trying to get back in. So where did you bring the red heifer from? Outside. You with me on this? You're not inside. The, whole, the reason why you need a red heifer is because you're outside the temple. You're not in the temple anymore. You unplugged. In the context of religious experience, the Rebbe says, this refers to the work of a Baal Shuvah, a penitent. That is to say that all of the other offerings represent the worship of righteous people who are not prone to forbidden behavior. So, in other words, every other, even sin offering, even when the Torah talks about a sin offering, it's not a malicious, intentional sin. We're talking about inadvertent sin. You made a mistake. That's not unplugging. That's, I made a mistake. Whoops. So you're still in the temple, right? Not so the red heifer, which is the worship of the penitent. In other words, someone who consciously said, God, no, thank you. I'm out. Therefore, it's offered outside of the temple. So I hope what's very clear here is the spiritual parallel. In other words, we have a red heifer that, 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 is, um, that is needed when someone come, comes in contact with death. But that's all the, the, the physical. That's all the, the, the you know, the... The, the tangible manifestation. But what's the spiritual component? What's the, what's, the, what's the soul of this? What's the energy of this mitzvah? The energy of this mitzvah is very simple. When we choose to defy God, we say to God, no, thank you. God, that's your opinion. I don't care right now. I got my own agenda. At that point, what, what are we doing? We are unplugging from God. We're saying to God, adios. See you later. Right? See you later. We, and by the way, we do this. Again, I started the class. This is a safe space. Right? Can we be honest here? Let's be honest. We make mistakes. Well, we, don't only, oh, we, oh, we don't only make mistakes of like, oh, whoops, I didn't realize. We make mistakes, i.e. We choose, we choose to unplug sometimes. We're like, you know what? I'm going to take some me time. God, see you later. And at that time, we find ourselves outside the temple. Right? We're, not, we're not inside the temple. We're outside the temple. Where are we? In our own private spaces. And it's from that place the Torah tells us that there is a way back. That's the remarkable idea here. There is a way back. That's the point. When the circuit breaks, you can go fix it, right? When you unplug, you can plug back in, right? There is a way to get back. That is the beauty of Judaism. There are paths. There are spiritual paths, religious paths, religions, etc., worldviews that say that if you do this, that, or the other, oh, that's it. Now you're done. You're finished. You're doomed eternally. And Judaism says... You can choose to unplug, you can find yourself in a place of death, and you can still have a path back. That is the beauty of Judaism. There is a red heifer, there is a path back. Now what is it about the red heifer? What is it about the red heifer ritual that evokes the idea of tshuva? I'm going to tell you something remarkable. I'm not going to tell you. It's in text number 7. Let's take a look at this. This is unbelievable about the red heifer. You want to know why the red heifer symbolizes tshuva in the physical way? Take a look at this. Text 7. We burn the carcass of the red heifer. Why? To remove and expunge three of its elements, fire, air, and water, leaving only the element of earth, i.e. ashes. So let me just explain that in a moment. for a moment. The ancients believed that everything in existence was comprised of four elements, fire, air, water, and earth. So when you burn something, you remove 
the fire, the fire singes the fire, the air and the water are all burnt up, and all that's left is ashes, which is earth. Spiritually, he says, back inside, this represents the idea of burning the passions of our animal soul. <laughs> what, what, time out, before we go further inside. What happens? Right, you came in contact with death, so now you're outside the temple, and now you take an animal, a red heifer, and you burn it. What does that mean? Here we go. It represents the burning of passions of our animal soul, of our inner animal. When we experience an attraction or desire for a physical allure, a forbidden physical allure, we must strip the desires, soiled garments, the physical objects in which our desires are vested. After these garments are stripped, we are left with a generic desire analogous to the ashes that are left after the red heifer is burned. This desire can then be redirected to the service of God. This is a remarkable concept. Listen to this. We talk about like passion or desire. So we, so we have a, a forbidden desire, a, a forbidden passion for something that God does not want us to desire, right? And that constitutes sin and disconnection. Oh, whoops, now we're out. Now we're out of the temple, so to speak. Now we're disconnected, we're unplugged, and oh, oh boy, that's not a good place to be in. So how do you get back? Red heifer. What do you do with the red heifer? You burn it. How does that help? What, what, am, I, what am I burning? Here's the deal. What you do is you're burning... Think about it. A red heifer is a big animal. And you reduce it to the most essential substance, ashes. What that means is you had this big desire, this big temptation, this big, we would say in Hebrew, taiva, this big, you know, desire. That was not, not, not holy, unholy. So what do you do? You burn it down. And you reduce it to the core. What's the core? The core is passion. And now that you reduce it to passion, you can use the passion for something holy. Are you with me? You deconstruct this, the, the object of the passion. You reduce it down to its core, which is passion itself. And now you utilize the passion for something holy, for something divine. Does that make any sense what I'm saying? You take the passion. Yeah. You burn down the cow. You burn down the taiva. You burn down the temptation. You're left with the ashes from there, reconstruct. You add the ashes to living water. You now rebuild with those ashes. With the, yeah, everything's burned. You, 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 um, DPP was not talking about a red heifer. It was talking about a sin offering or other offerings. This is a red heifer is different. Everything is burned. You reduce it to ashes, and then you add the ashes to living water, and then you sprinkle. What's the point? You're taking, you're regenerating passion the core passion, but you're reconstructing it in a holy environment as opposed to an un unholy environment. Imagine somebody who has, um, you know, somebody who's like out of control, like just absolutely passionate about something that's sinful, right? So, oh, man, so what do you do with that? Okay, so imagine if you could destroy the direction to which that passion is being, being, being aimed and instead direct it somewhere else. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Imagine a kid in a classroom. And uh, Marasari, you taught me this. Um, when we had, I used to run the, uh, the Hebrew school here at Chabad in town. And we, on occasion, we had, uh, you know, sometimes children are a little rambunctious, right? Especially on a Sunday morning. It's like, right? So we once had a situation. There was a child who was, you know, very, very excited. So I asked Marasari because she's, uh, she's an expert in education. And I said, so, like, what's, what, give me some advice. The teacher's asking for advice, and, you know, I don't feel, uh, I, I, I need to consult the higher authority. So Marisar told me, 
channel the energy, make this child the assistant, make this child the helper, bring this rain, bring the child in to direct the, instead of, the child has a lot of energy. So it's going to be expressed somehow. So instead of being expressed in making disruption, channel the energy to make, to be constructive, to help out the lesson. Now it sounds intuitive, right? Okay, not always so intuitive. Sometimes uh, yeah, the, the biggest innovations are the, are the, sound the simplest. But it's, 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 uh, it, it's a powerful idea. The powerful idea is, in essence, burn down the cow, the, the, the negative manifestation, how it's, how it's manifesting, reduce it to the core, and from the core rebuild it in a healthy fashion. Does that make sense? So instead of investing the, all the energy of the person in a sinful way, burn it down, Take the ashes, add it to holy water. Holy water, that doesn't sound right. Add it to living water. It sounds like a different uh, faith, right? You add it to living water. Mayim chayim, al keli, in a container. And then from there, you can get back. So this is the spiritual dynamic. This is, so, so there's two red heifers. There's the technical red heifer, right? In ancient times, when a person touched a dead body or was in, under the same roof as a dead body, they needed the physical ashes of the red heifer to become purified to go into the temple. Okay. What does it mean? What does it mean spiritually? What does it mean for us today? Okay. So what is coming in contact with death? Sin. Intentional, premeditated, full-blown sin. And now we're out. We're out of the holy space. We're out of the temple. And from there, take that cow, burn it down, take the ashes, add it to water. There's a path back. It's called teshuva. There's always a way back. And now we have the answer to the question. I asked before, if not everyone went to Jerusalem for Passover, why do we need to read that this week in the Torah portion, why do we need to read about the red heifer? See what the Rebbe says? Because we all need a red heifer. Because <laughs> we all need a red heifer. It's not only for those that went to Jerusalem, technically, when the temple stood. We all today, right now, we all need a red heifer. Because in our lives, if we're being honest, as I started today's class, if we're being honest, there are areas in which we're choosing to unplug. There are areas, all of us, no exception. There's a text here that I think is pretty necessary to read right now. A text from King Solomon. King Solomon was pretty wise, I think, right? Text number 10. I'm going to read this one. Page 202. All right, I'm going to scroll quickly to it because, you know, we just skipped from text 5 to text 10. Don't worry, you're in good hands. Consider me your Uber driver. Text number 10. All stay. Text number 10. Um, what's that other one? Um, progressive? What's that funny? Oh, liberty, liberty, liberty. Text 10. Here we go from Ecclesiastes. For there is no righteous person on earth who does good and sins not. Ain it's impossible for there to be someone righteous who does not sin. Now, you say, what about a tzaddik? What about a rebbe? Okay, there's exceptions to every rule. But here's the rule. The rule is, which means that if we're being honest, we are all in the same boat. We have all done things in which we have chosen to unplug. We've said to God, I appreciate your input. I thank you for your advice. I appreciate you, what you want. But honestly, I would rather do what I want. So, boop, and we unplugged. And in that space of, this, of, of, of unplugging, in that space of basically defiance of our source, defiance of our essence, the Torah reminds us. The Torah reminds us that there is a way back. There is always a way back. But it's not going to be easy. 
Not that it's too hard, but it's not going to... We have to burn it down. We have to take the manifestation of our energy, burn it down, reduce it to ashes, and from that, rebuild it in a healthy way. Don't kill desire. There's nothing wrong with desire. The, the problem is when desire is manifest in a spiritually unhealthy or undesirable space. So take the passion, take the core, the core essence of that red heifer and then add it to the, the pure water, add it to the living water and rebuild from there. That is why we read about the red heifer on this Shabbat why we read it for everybody, because everybody has something to fix. Everybody has a red heifer that needs to be burned down, and we need to start again. Everyone in our lives finds ourselves on one occasion or another having unplugged from the source and needing desperately to plug back in. So on this Shabbat, we stand up in shul, and we're all honest, and we say, you know what? I think we all need to hear about the red heifer. Now I, and now I know the question. Now there's another question. So why don't we read the red heifer every week? Sounds like we need to read it all the time. Why, why specifically this time? Okay, so for that, of course, we have another element, which is, of course, you know, Passover is coming, and, 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 and as a preparation for Passover, which the idea of rebirth, right? Passover is rebirth. So if, if we're talking about rebirth and regeneration, and, and kind of, and, which is the, the, essentially the idea of plugging back in, so a prerequisite for that, of course, is burning down the cow, burning down the heifer, and the red heifer, and starting again with that, that core ashes mixed together with the water. So that, my friends, is the lesson for, 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 uh, uh, from tonight's class for this Shabbat. This Shabbat is called Parashas Para. It's the section of the Para, of the Paraduma that we read. And the message for us is, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, we will, at some point or another, we will find ourselves outside. Due to our own choosing, We'll find ourselves outside. Well, I'm not talking about the stuff that we, that we made a mistake. Then you're still inside, and then you don't need a red heifer. I'm talking about the stuff that you and I made, chose deliberately, intentionally, we unplugged. It happens because we're human. If we want to pretend it didn't happen, then who benefits, right? Who, who benefits? So the message here is we will all find ourselves at some point or another, or many points in time, outside. And the message here is we have the ability to get back in. We are not stuck outside. We're not locked out. There's a way back in. There's a process called the red heifer, burn it down, start again, right? Let it go, let, let the object of the passion subside and refocus our direction on, in a holy space. Redirect the energy. You're very excited about whatever. Be excited about, about good things. Be excited about a mitzvah, excited about Torah study, excited about helping someone else out. Be excited about the good things, not about the negative things. There is a way back. That's the message of tonight. And I want to end with this point, and that is that when we find ourselves back inside, it's always better than before because the nature of truth, the nature of, of repentance is that when we go out and then come back in, if we do it right, we're back in in a much deeper place and a much better place than we were before. That's the nature of truth because the, the energy that is infused in that experience of going from outside to inside, the energy that it's, that's expended if we find ourselves outside, to get back in requires a lot of energy. We've got to burn down a cow. We've got to take the ashes, mix it with water. All that energy fuels the movement back inside and then propels us forward in a much greater level, which is why the Talmud says, we've quoted this so many times, the place where those that have done shuva stand, the greatest tzaddik cannot reach that place. It's so much higher than, a per than someone who never left and got back in. If we walked out and came back in, 
it's a much deeper experience than the guy who never left because it's, there's a purity there, but it doesn't, doesn't have the same energy. Someone who left and has to get back in, you have to fight your way back in. Right? That fighting itself creates depth. And so in the final analysis, I want to reiterate how I started, and that is that we're all imperfect, and there's no point to hide imperfection. I mean, look, I'm not saying that we should all broadcast it either. That's also not nishkein tachlis. There's no point to that either. But what, what I am suggesting is that we be honest with ourselves and recognize what is it that I need to burn down? What is it that I need to redirect? What is it in which points am I finding myself outside that I need to climb back inside and then strive? And we're not going to be perfect. Even in, this, even in the act of, of reclamation and getting back in and shuva and red heifering, we're still not going to be perfect. And still, and still we do the work. All right, I saw that a bunch of, okay, so that formally concludes what, at least what I wanted to share tonight. I know there's a lot more text inside, um, but I also did notice, I also want to give a chance for people, for folks to weigh in, questions, comments, made sense? Elio? Yes, it all made sense, but, and I know we have teshuva, but there's different teshuvas then, <coughs> from what you said, you volitionally unplug, if that's the case, then you, the red heifer's needed. Right. But today, we just have teshuva, just teshuva, I mean, not, not going to teshuva, but that's... Teshuvah. You're saying it's, it's kind of like blanket, it's not tailored? Right. Well, we have to tailor. I think, I think one of the outcomes of tonight's class is to recognize that teshuvah is not just some sort of like magic wand that like just fixes everything without, without doing the actual work. Teshuvah really means there's no magical wand. Even back in the day when you had to really bring a red hat for it, wasn't, it still wasn't magical. We had to, you had to do the inner work. The inner work is an assessment. Okay, so... Where, where is my energy going in a misdirected way? And then, what, and then, I mean, today it's like the buzzword, like burn it all down, right? But like, what do I need to burn down because it's just simply unhealthy? What, what part of my life do I need to just eliminate? But not vaporize. What can I reduce down to the core that I can then re-flour, I can then allow it to flourish and grow, but where it's healthy to grow, not in the unhealthy space. I'm burning that down so that I can grow it in the healthier space. I think that's the key. Um, I did notice some chats that popped up over here before, and I didn't, it was kind of coming up rapidly, so I didn't have a chance to read them. Um, so I'm going to take a moment quickly to read, oh, where did it go now? To read the chat. Love is blind, good. Interest, the origin of Torah is interesting. Um, yes, yes, I agree with you. Ariel, I think that's, that's, that, that's very profound. The Haftorah, as some of you know, is read in a minor key, whereas the Torah is read in a more like, hot, like a beat thing, and I'm not a musical uh, expert, but it's kind of like when you play it, huh? Oh, all right, okay, well, there you go. So that's, thank you, for Ariel, for weighing in on this because you know what you're talking about. So it's, it's in a more minor key, it's solemn, um, and she's suggesting here in the, note, in the comments be that maybe because they, the reason why they introduced that is because they couldn't read the Torah, so they were in a state of mourning. I would agree with that. In fact, I liken it to Super Mario Brothers, right? When, you, when you're above ground, do 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 very upbeat, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-
Zayik Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech Olam Asher It's more melancholy. That's it's definitely more of a of a. Um, it's not only for the blessings. It's for the actual reading itself. It's a it's a different straight up a different trap. It's a the, the song is like I, I don't know the terms. Is it minor major? I don't know minor major. I don't know my keys, my notes, my my C's from my D's. But what I do know is that uh, the Torah reading is typically more happy, I guess you could call it. At least that's the energy, whereas the Torah is a little bit more of that lower key thing. Tumtum, we answered, found this uh, mournful. Oh, there we go. See, I'm, I'm going through this in real time. Yes, so that was, that was confirmed. Sleep is 160 of death. Is the high burn? Yes. Mayhem. Oh, mayhem, exactly. That's from that commercial. Mark, um, uh, for someone who needs the red heifer because they touched it, the forbidden was a mitzvah. Oof, excellent question. Mark is asking, sometimes a person comes in contact with death, not as, an, not as a sin, but as a mitzvah, mm, yeah. right? Because, let's say, Hever Kadisha, the burial society. So you're doing a mitzvah, now they need a red heifer. So not every time you need a red heifer means that you unplugged because you were, you were, you know, you, you did something wrong and you didn't care. Sometimes you came in contact with death as a mitzvah. Mark pulls out the trump card. Done. Boom. See you later. So, folks, I got to go. It's been real. No. So it's an excellent question. And I think what it comes down to is sometimes, sometimes in needing, in wanting to do something positive, we might find ourselves doing something, you know, negative, compromising our values. So I don't know that it's going to perfectly, you know, align because I, I think that, you know, you, whenever you discuss practical things on a spiritual level, I don't know if it aligns in every single detail. I think you're asking a very interesting and good detail. But I think also there are some times that when, you know, we try to, um, we have calculations how it's really a good thing and whatever it is, and, and in truth, we're unplugging. Now you're asking, but what if it's honestly a good thing? Are we still finding ourselves outside the temple? So I don't know. I don't know if it lines up perfectly, but I think sometimes at least the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, can convince us Again, I don't think I'm addressing your question directly, but I think, you know, conceptually we can kind of, you know, play around with this idea that sometimes we, can, we, we tell ourselves, oh, this is a bad thing. This is unplugging. No, 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 no. This is a mitzvah. I'm doing a good deed. This is great. <laughs> Watch this. Unplug. <laughs> right? So, so we have to be careful about that also. I don't think it, it, it perfectly answers your question. It's a good question. Um, okay, so that's the point. So this week, again, to summarize, this week is Paraduma, Red Heifer, and it reminds us, practically before Passover, Paschal Lamb, etc., but what about everyone else? Everyone's, everyone's got, everyone has a Red Heifer to bring. That's the message. Even if you're not going to Jerusalem, even if you don't have a Paschal Lamb to bring, everyone's got a Red Heifer. Because we all, at some point, we're all going to be outside the temple, and we all are going to be trying to get back in. And for that, we need a red heifer. Um, I didn't welcome. Thank you, Rabbi. My pleasure. Thank you, Fred. Thank uh, you, Karen. We, we, yeah. just, we just learned something that was beyond uh, King Solomon's comprehension. Ah, oh, oh, good, good. King Solomon said, "I don't understand the red heifer." And so, what did we do tonight? We explained it. So take that, King Solomon. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, be respectful. Right, so yeah, right, King Solomon. Now, what does it mean? I think the way we understand this is that King Solomon understood certain elements, but maybe not everything. Maybe he didn't understand what Mark asked. Oh, maybe that was the one point of, of the red heifer that didn't make sense. Like, I don't understand the red heifer. Why? Because there's a mitzvah sometimes that you, good. That might, that might be the, the detail of it. Um, but I, I want to do make an announcement before everyone, has it, before everyone leaves. I do want to um, uh, encourage everyone who can if you can make it tomorrow night at 8 p.m., it's a Zoom-only event. You're going to love it. 
This is called the Joy Factory. It's a happiness workshop. I think we can all use an extra dose of happiness, no matter how happy we are. It's still the month of Adar. We've had, we have 60 days this year of joy. But the question is, so what do we do? Like hit the joy button? Like what is that? There is no button. So what do we do? So we're going to explore tomorrow night, led by Mrs. Rezo Schusterman. We're going to explore um, what is at the core of happiness. What's at the heart of happiness? How do we go from oi to joy? That is tomorrow night. Based on classic Jewish wisdom, uh, positive, modern positive psychology, 8 p.m. Thursday night, March 24th. There is no better time to jump on the Joy Factory than tomorrow night. Please join me. You will love it. And you'll be happier. And then we'll all be happier. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. By the way, the greatest way to do tshuva is tshuva from a place of simcha. A place of joy. So I'll conclude with this story. I love this story. There was, uh, the Baal Shem Tov was once traveling through a town. Through, he traveled all the time. He was traveling through a town, town on the high holidays, and the people of the town were complaining about their chazan, their cantor. They said, this chazan, he doesn't know what he's doing. you got to speak to him. Baal Shem says, why? What's wrong? He sings the very sad, solemn prayers on Yom Kippur with a happy tune. Not do 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 do. No, he sings with a happy tune. Who does that? It's like the sad stuff, and he sings with a happy tune. He's missing the whole. He doesn't know what he's saying. Bashemtiv says, "Okay, let me meet with him." He meets with the chazan. He says, "You know, the community is saying that you're singing happy tunes on Yom Kippur for the very sad prayers. What's going on? Is that true?" He says, "Yeah." He says, "Why?" He says, "Look, imagine, imagine, if I was called by the king." In employment, the king says, I want you. I want to hire you. For what? I want you to clean the palace, make it look beautiful. He said, that would be such an honor. The king wants me to clean the palace, to clean, to clean his chambers. That would be amazing. be unbelievable. I get a chance to make the king's palace beautiful. Says, Isn't that what Yom Kippur is? Right? Each of us is like a palace. Each of us is a temple for God. And we have an opportunity in Yom Kippur to clean ourselves out, so to speak, and to make it look beautiful. Shouldn't I sing with a happy tune? And so even when we do tshuva, should it be sad? We have the opportunity to plug back in. Is there a greater simcha than that, greater joy? God gives us the opportunity to connect, to step back into the temple. So my friends, let's sing a happy tune. And I'll see you tomorrow night. All right, we'll see you all soon. Have a wonderful night. Erev Tov. Pleasure, pleasure. Don't forget, grab some babka. We'll see you guys. Take care, everybody. Do 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 do. How do we?